0: as we now look to our Lord in prayer. So, Father, I'm praying now that you minister to all the hearts, not only the people involved in the three services this morning, but our live stream congregation as well. Minister at points of need. So, Father, we're asking now that you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills, as again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. There were late nights with Yosef, Zahn, and me in our home. Yosef had been asked to be the speaker at the missions conference. And uh, our children we're all engaged in listening carefully to every word that he was sharing about his experiences of being a pastor under communism in Eastern Europe. I picked Dr. Zahn up from the airport and as we went back I, I asked him, Yosef, uh, tell me about Laszlo Tokesh and this brilliant man Dr. Zahn, trained at Oxford with a doctorate. He turned to me while I was driving with a big smile on his face. Oh, you know of Laszlo Tukash? You must listen to and read Chuck Colson. He was right on. And so at that point, he began to tell me about this extraordinary, courageous pastor in Romania who stood up to the authorities proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Viewed as a threat to communism, tensions arose in Timisora as this pastor of the Hungarian Reformed Church shared readily about the name of Jesus Christ. Now, success could be a danger in a communist nation, and so the authorities stationed the police officers in front of the church, particularly on Sundays cradling their machine guns, hiring thugs, all on the lookout for the senior pastor. And finally, in December of 1989, 30 years ago, they decided it was time for Pastor Tokesh to be put in exile. But when the police arrived to hustle Tokesh away, they were stopped, Because around the entrance of the church was a wall of humanity, row after row of people that extended outwards into the streets. It seemed as though all of Romania had gathered together to protect this man. And though the police had tried to disperse the crowd, the people held their posts day and night. And then just after midnight, a young man pulled out a packet of candles. Yosef, were you there to see this? The man lit one, and passed it to his neighbor, and then lit another. And one by one, the burning candles were passed out among the crowd. And soon the darkness of this December night of 1989 was pierced by the light, you see, of all these candles. And the world was taking note. And a book would eventually be written, read globally. Candles in the dark. When Tokesh peered out the window, he was struck by the warm glow that that seemed to reflect, emanate off of all these faces. And at that moment, he said later, this was my turning point were members of the body of Christ from various churches having gathered together to create this wall of humanity, disregarding their denominational ties, joining hands in his defense. Now, Yosef Zahn was a friend of Tokesh. And so Yosef and I spent time into the early morning hours talking about these things. And how does one go about representing Jesus Christ when, back to my analogy of lowercase, uppercase authorities, the lowercase authority tries to position himself as if he's an uppercase authority as if the political governments lowercase make themselves out to be uppercase which is happening in north korea which is happening in china and in various places around the world which is why today we pray for the persecuted church what's fascinating as peter has drawn a link between this man raised he was raised to be able to walk to the ultimate one who was raised in order to live, is that he would have within his mind the words of Jesus Christ in their great commission, where Jesus said to his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And so now here is Peter, full-spectrum discipleship now, at a time in which Jerusalem has in essence been invaded from people from all various nations, coming together initially for Passover on into Pentecost and on and on. There has been the communication of the gospel via the tongues from the Greek word dialectos. We get dialects. God was that specific in the way he wanted to communicate the gospel through these apostles. But furthermore, now, Exhibit A is on our hands. And what do you do when Exhibit A is standing, not even seated, and the authorities have got to grapple with the way in which Peter has drawn a connection between God, the one who raised a crippled man from birth to walk, to the God who raised the second member of the Trinity from death to life? What are they going to do? If you grapple with politics and the relationship of church and state, if you grapple with the relationship of God and government, and you ponder not only this matter globally, but also historically, and even begin to relate it nationally, this morning what I want to do is to draw out what I'll call three significant observations from these verses that better equip us to understand how all this fits together, and the first is found in verse 13 through 17. Then number one, when God's work is being opposed by civil authority, begin here, note with me, the internal discussions pertaining to God's people, because they will talk. And in verse 13, when they, speaking of the governmental officials now in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, the ones that had overseen putting Jesus Christ to death. When they now saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, I want you to begin to grapple with me what is occurring here. Notice that these men now are creating a link between this crippled man now walking and Peter and John who are speaking. God is sovereignly wedded the visual and the verbal and now they're gonna to have to deal with new evidence regarding this God capable of raising the second member of the Trinity from the grave. They now see the boldness of Peter and John. What fascinates us is that Peter was anything but bold prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was anything but bold in their courtyard that we saw the visual of the courtyard that I stood in one year ago, the house of Caiaphas, where Peter would deny Jesus. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, what you and I have to realize then is that Peter nor John would find boldness if Jesus Christ was still in that grave. They would have fled. One does not articulate in very bold terms that one is resurrected if that individual is still in the grave. Men will not die for a lie. They want to save their skin. But Peter is so gripped by the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has gone out of his way to articulate the connection between God raising a crippled man to walk and God raising Jesus Christ to live. He speaks with boldness. They see it. They feel it. John. And what interests us all the more is that they perceived that these were uneducated common men. They were not equipped to have formal rabbinic training. But these were men who now are articulate, they are communicating to the masses. And the Sanhedrin feels extraordinarily threatened at this point because it's populated by Sadducees, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They are being challenged theologically, they are being challenged politically, and they don't want unrest to capture the attention of Rome. Otherwise, they're going to lose their positions governmentally, politically. Politically. What fascinates us all the more is that we are told here in verse 13, they recognized They recognized, pertaining to Peter and John, they had been with Jesus. Now Peter was standing outside the courtyard and the servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus. Matthew tells us, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said, to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that was pinned over the head of Jesus on that cross. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later, and the bystanders came up and said to Peter, "Surely you two are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away." And then he began to curse and swear. Now he's verbally finding ways to create this sense of distance from Jesus, do not know the man. And then the most astounding thing happens because God is sovereign over not only time but timing. The cockcrow. And hadn't Peter, in all of his boldness, claimed that he would never, never sever his relationship with Jesus? And Jesus predicted that the cock would crow after three denials. The three denials have taken place. The cock crows. Even there you see the integrity, authority of the second member of the Trinity talking about how the future... relates and Peter went out and wept bitterly we're told Jesus uppercase authority but what do you do if you're part of the Sanhedrin and all of a sudden you find that there is this reinvigorated boldness and the Sanhedrin wants to be viewed as uppercase rather than lowercase This has always been a problem in politics. Think about the Nuremberg Trials, where many war criminals from Nazi Germany, when they were tried, some of the officers pleaded not guilty on the grounds that they were ordered to do what they did and therefore could not be held responsible for what happened. But they were viewing government as uppercase rather than lowercase authority. Now, here we have something where the Sanhedrin is going to have to figure out what do we do when Exhibit A is standing there in the crowds and Peter is drawing a connection to the resurrected one according to Peter and John's claims, Jesus Christ. And they recognized, you see at this point, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Is Peter going to run? During World War II, General Bernard Montgomery, when he took over the command of the African campaign, he was known for his courage. And when he assumed the campaign, it seemed inevitable that Rommel's forces were going to take all of North Africa Montgomery found an officer at headquarters working on some plans, and he was asking and wondering, well, what is this all about? And the officer responded, plans for retreat. Destroy the plans, ordered Montgomery. We're advancing. And they advanced, and they won. Now, the Sanhedrin wants Peter and John to simply retreat. But the problem now is that in the name of Jesus Christ, under his authority, the people are coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now the political forces in Jerusalem are feeling threatened. And ironically, neither Peter nor John demonstrate that they feel threatened. This is the church being the church. This is a Laszlo Takesh standing up for Jesus in the midst of a communist regime. So now you're up to verse 14, and we're told that, The visual and the verbal are tied together. The Sanhedrin, the political structures of Jerusalem, seeing the man who is healed—don't miss the irony here—standing before them, wasn't even seated. Exhibit A: nothing is atrophied first-hand evidence. Do you see how lowercase is being threatened by uppercase authority? Seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, which is what happens when an impotent government, lowercase, is feeling threatened by the church of Jesus Christ which has its eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, uppercase. Tensions of authority. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. God has silenced the voice of lowercase authority. But, verse 15, When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. In other words, they are now going to go into closed session. No reporters allowed, no cameras permitted. And now, the authorities that had Jesus Christ put to death are going to have to figure, what are we going to do now with Peter and John? If we have them put to death, the crowds are going to rise up in mass against us. And now they're fearing, the political figures are, the church of Jesus Christ, who bow to uppercase authority and feel so unthreatened by lowercase authority. What shall we do, they're asking one another. What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. When our youngest of our children, Benjamin and his wife Jessica, were traveling in Eastern Europe, I encouraged him, he had been a history major in college, make certain you, when you're in Prague, uh, go to the monument dedicated to Jan Hus. Now, Hus had been put to death because he, as a pastor, had proclaimed faith in Christ and in Christ alone, justification by faith alone in Christ alone for salvation, which went against the church doctrines of that time period religious authorities, unbelievers. In fact, he wrote a book on the church, which defended the authority of the pastors who would stand and proclaim Christ alone, forgive sins. And so, reading from a biographical sketch, formally condemned, Huss was handed over to, from the religious authorities to the secular authorities, what do they have in common? They are authorities. What else do they have in common? They are lowercase authorities. To be burned on the stake on July 6, fourteen fifteen. were you able to spot the monument, Ben, Jessica? On the way to the place of execution, Dr. Huss passed the churchyard, saw a bonfire of the books that he had written we told he laughed and told the bystanders not to believe the circulated lies being told about him. Then arriving at the place of execution was asked by the empire's marshal if he would finally retract his views about God and Huss replied, God is my witness, Jesus is my Lord. One is saved by justification, faith in Christ, and Christ alone. I have never thought nor taught except with one intent, of leading people, if possible, to Christ. I will gladly die, and the fire was lit, and as the flames engulfed him, the biographer tells us he began to sing in Latin, Christ, thou son of the living God, have mercy upon me. Now, this was where religious and secular authorities found common ground, but what else do they have in common? They are lowercase authorities. Now, the lowercase authorities at this point are wrestling. What do we do with this one who has drawn a connection to Jesus? Can we stifle them? Can we find a way to hinder the freedom of speech that Peter and John are demonstrating and enjoying while in Jerusalem? And you nor I are, view this as ironic. We're in the amendments to our own constitution The first amendment tells us Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech and onwards. Freedom of religion and freedom of speech in the same amendment, brilliant, brilliant. And so now, here is peter here is john and they understand that true liberty is found in recognizing true authority and when you substitute lower authority for upper authority you lose your liberty but when you uphold uppercase authority you are able to regain your liberty and so behind closed doors now here is lowercase sanhedrin they had put jesus christ to death And when they commanded them to leave, they closed the doors. They conferred with one another, saying, what are we going to do? What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. So what are they going to do? They are going to restrict freedom of speech. People in 2019, watch out for the restriction of freedom of speech. And note the connection in your First Amendment between freedom of religion and freedom of speech. And I've noted on certain very strategic campuses nationwide, the future leaders on those campuses are are using freedom of speech to argue against freedom of speech. Well, we could go far with that tension. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in that name. What they're attempting to do at this point is to place restrictions upon this growing movement that's being engineered by God. And when lowercase authority is attempting to be able to gain uppercase recognition among God's people, what happens? They try to control circumstances. They try to regulate freedom. And they're reduced to issuing warnings. But what interests us is that they tried to do that with Jesus as well. We're told in Matthew 28 that when they had assembled with the elders, taking counsel, They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night, stow him away while they were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, you see how religious unbelieving authorities and secular unbelieving authorities find common ground? But keep reminding yourself they're lowercase. Tell them his disciples came by night, stow him away while they were asleep. We were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him, keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, did as they were directed, and the story had been spread among the Jews to this day. What you gonna do? On to your second observation. Not only are you noting here the internal discussions pertaining to God's people and God's words advancing in 13 through 17, but... Second of all, notice with me now the governmental restrictions placed upon God's people beginning in verse 18 down through 20. So they called them, charged them. Now we're back to opening the doors, you see. Charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But then again, you think of somebody like William Tyndale who had prayed, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. When many in the crowd heard Tyndale's loud and earnest prayer just before the authorities strangled him, burned him to ashes. This man, another man from Oxford, you see. Well, he went out of his way, Tyndale did, to make certain that the Bible was translated in a way in which the common person would be able to read it and understand it. And his work received an amazing, unintended boost. Get this reading from his biographer now. When bishops brought bought rather as many copies of his translation as possible to destroy them. Here's the irony. The price they paid provided Tyndale the needed money to print even more copies. king's wife, Anne Boleyn, was an admirer of Tyndale, but not those surrounding the king. They had agents on the continent trying to find a way to arrest Tyndale, and they did. Because in 1634, Tyndale was betrayed by a false friend in Brussels, arrested by the imperial forces, thrown into prison, accused of maintaining their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, is what justifies, found guilty, in 1536, he was executed. But then again, God reigns. For two years after Tyndale was executed, Henry VIII of England ordered that a copy of the scriptures in English be placed in every parish church, and more English translations followed, but the King James Version became the authorized version, the most influential book in the history of the English language, and Tyndale's translation provided over 90% of the wording of the King James Version see, God reigns. But the tension is, is that too many people in society, religious unbeliever and secular unbeliever, treat lowercase authority as uppercase authority and fail to take into account that despite the restrictions that government forces might place upon them, and in 2019, ponder your First Amendment, read the First Amendment, and look carefully at the connection between freedom of religion and freedom of speech, and then read carefully when you get up the this, into this verse that informs you and me of what the Sanhedrin said. We cannot, we cannot let this happen, you see, they're saying to one another. They call them, charge them, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But here it comes, Peter flexes his verbal muscles. Peter and John answered them jointly, whether it is right, now notice how they bring God, uppercase, to the lowercase authorities. Whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you, lowercase, rather than to God, uppercase, you must judge. Now, they have been involved in being the judges but they have not judged the evidence. Now they must. In other words, what the church is doing when the church is the church is that it holds governmental authorities accountable like Tokesh did in Romania, like Josef Zahn did in Romania. And so now he is taking authority and linking it to accountability You must judge and then here's your freedom of speech tied to your freedom of religion, your first amendment. You gotta read it, get a a constitution and keep it in front of you. This sits on my desk. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And the challenge is is that these authorities have also seen and heard because Exhibit A is standing out there outside of Solomon's portico as people are walking by. And you say, Gary, how's it related today? Those of you that subscribe to World Magazine and your recent copy of October 12th of 2019 have an article in it entitled an app in exile. In July, a six year old Chinese Bible app called We Devote marked a major milestone where 10 million installations took place. With its slick design, respect for copyrights and curated Bible readings and devotionals, We Devote stands apart from other Bible apps for smartphones and tablets available in China, linked the Gutenberg press of a prior century to the apps of this century. The apps much needed resource for Chinese Christians Nearly all of WeDevote's users are from the mainland China, where governmental officials are making it more and more difficult to purchase physical copies of the Bible, and so they have these officials blocked access to WeDevote's website. Now, who blocks the access? The officials. Who now are Peter and John dealing with? The officials. What about the freedom of speech in China as compared to the tensions in Hong Kong? The issue of Freedom of speech as it relates to freedom of religion. What's in your First Amendment? Freedom of speech as it relates to freedom of religion. You're staying with the text. You notice, second of all, the governmental restrictions placed upon God's people Keep an eye on your First Amendment in the days, the weeks, the months, the years to come. And move now finally to the third and final observation of verse 21 and 22 that's found here in your text. Because thirdly, when God's work is being opposed by civil authorities, no thirdly, the societal awareness produced by God's people, you're going to make the secular society aware of the fact that Jesus reigns. You're up to verse 21. What are you gonna do when you're such an impotent government? When they had further threatened them, that's about all they can do. They let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? They feel threatened. They feel threatened by the people. Why? Full scale discipleship. All were praising God for what had happened. And then connecting this verse to the way it all began in verse 1 of this fourth chapter. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And there he is standing on my wood. It hasn't even atrophied. Yosef. Thank you for telling me about Laszlo. And then I ponder what Joseph did as well in Romania, Romania, because he had been a pastor until he was exiled by the Romanian government in 1981. And in his pastoral renewal article, he wrote of these words, years ago, I left my country to study theology at Oxford to gain my doctorate. When I was ready to go back to Romania, I discussed my plans with some of my fellow students. They pointed out that I might be arrested at the border. One student asked, Joseph, what chances do you have of successfully implementing your plans? (sighs) Joseph would go on to write these words. He and I talked about it into the early morning hours. After our return, I was able to teach from the pulpit uninhibitedly, but harassment and arrests came. One day during interrogation, an officer threatened to kill me. And then I said, sir, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Sir, you know that my messages from the pulpit are all, all over the country now on tape. Remember the era. Whoever listens to them after that will say, I better listen to Yosef. He, this man healed his words with his blood. They will speak 10 times louder than before. So go on, kill me. I win the supreme victory then, he said to the officer. The officer sent him home. Quote, this is Joseph speaking. Picture him and me sitting there about one in the morning in my house talking about these things. They gave me pause. For years I was a Christian who was cautious because I wanted to survive just like Peter. I had accepted all the restrictions the authorities put on me because I wanted to live. Now I wanted to die and they wouldn't oblige. Now I could do whatever I wanted in Romania. For years I had wanted to save my life and I was losing it. And now I wanted to lose it, I was winning it. And then he smiled as we looked at one another, and he said, God reigns. Yes, he does. Question, do you have a lowercase God, or do you have an uppercase God? Thanking you, Father, thank you for the extraordinary, articulate, courageous pastors such as Laszlo Tukes, and Joseph Zahn, and countless others. But they equipped the masses to light the candles and shine light into the darkness. And if our culture, if our civilization is being darkened. I pray that not one believer in these services this morning or through live stream, keeps their candle unlit. May this be a church father that lights its candles, stands up in the dark and proclaims the good news that Jesus Christ lives. And for this, We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.